Nobody likes a dividend dropper, but maybe they should. Motley Fool Money starts now. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Deidre Willard here with Motley Fool Analyst Bill Barker. Bill, good to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. I love to talk earnings. It's been it's been a minute since I got to. I feel like we're currently in the in the calm before the storm in a few weeks, but we do have some to talk about. Exciting to me, at least. Uh, I want to start with the one I'm watching closely. Uh, I'm a shareholder of Walgreens Boots Alliance. More formally, you know, we just call it Walgreens. But I'm interested in this one for two reasons. So you've got this new CEO, Tim Wentworth. He's got a healthcare background. He replaces the CEO. I really was excited about Roz Brewer. She was there, I think, less than two years. That didn't really work out. And you've also got this company that's kind of in this pharmacy to healthcare shift. So, Bill, new CEO, how long before I start to get to, uh, judging uh, Tim Wentworth's performance? Oh, I don't know. Um, have, you, have you listened to him? Have you listened to the conference calls? You can judge him right away if you want. Right. Uh, I, I did listen, yes. What, and what do you think? I, f- I feel like he's very aware of the problems the company is facing, and I feel like he does have he has a plan. And I always like to I like someone who feels like they know what the plan is, even when a company is not in the best space at this point. All right. So you know what the plan is, and he's explained it, and so you understand what you think they're up to. And you know, at the point at which he is offering timelines or uh, directions that don't appear, then you you know you can judge him poorly. Uh, at the moment, he came in what uh, early October, early mid October. This is the first report uh, since he came in. You expect something a little bit like this, a sort of a big bath report where you throw in a bunch of charges um, and then you sort of wave all that in the past, one-time stuff. Going forward, you know, I'll be judged, you know, from the point at which I have cleaned up the mess. And this was part of defining some of the financial position of the company as a mess that is being put into the back, uh, put into into the past. That includes uh, the dividend cut. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because that's part of the the big bath approach. Is okay. You get all the hard stuff out of the way. You you know, you you ascribe it to the past situation and you move forward. But yeah, forty eight percent reduction in the dividend payout to twenty five percent. Obviously, the market doesn't love this. I mean, it makes sense. You've got operating losses here. It's going to give you cash. But if you're someone who's holding this stock for the dividend, you're not happy. If you're, you know, a larger institutions, probably not happy as this about this as well. What are some of the repercussions beside, you know, it going down in the market today? Well, of course, the market had, I think, anticipated with the stock price even before today that there was going to be a dividend cut that is that the yield was 7% to 8% somewhere in there that just doesn't happen um particularly with uh you know a company that is not in a position to to keep that up given the amount of cash on hand and and the debt that uh Walgreens Boots Alliance has so i don't think this was entirely uh, unexpected. Uh, maybe the degree, uh, taking it down um, basically by half, uh, uh, that may have been a bit more of a surprise than the fact that a, a cut was made at all. The, the market just was not pricing in 
uh, an anticipation that this dividend could be maintained or else it just wouldn't, wouldn't have been at a yield of 8%. But, but in general, when you have a dividend cut, it's you can either see it two ways. You can see it as a sign that the company is really in trouble, or you can see that it's a sign that the company is is being prudent and taking action. I think it's more the being prudent and taking action here. How do you view it? Well, I view it as evidence of some restriction on their capital allocation choices. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they can't allocate capital the, the way they had uh, given the number of uh, acquisitions that they had made uh, and the dividend where it was uh, and hoping uh, you know to maintain that especially with a large chunk of the company's debt maturing in the next couple of years and it, so they're going to have to issue new debt uh, they they have cash on hand to uh, fund operations but they they're, they're going to need to uh, i think have some debt at, at higher levels given Today's interest rates uh, than when they issued the debt. So the you know the the capital allocation choices are not uh, extensive at the moment. They need to fix their balance sheet, and this this is a prudent step in terms of doing so. Yeah, that's that's a really good point with that with that debt. You want to try to pay off as much of that as you as you can before before you have to you know before you have to move on to that higher interest rate. And part of that is those acquisitions that you mentioned. It feels to me like like they're they're done with the acquisition part of the healthcare pivot, uh, you know, with the um, with with that part of things, and maybe they're at the integration part of this. And you know, I'm thinking about this not just in terms of Walgreens, but you've got if this isn't everybody into the pool situation. CVS a little bit further ahead on this on this pivot. Kroger is looking at health. Walmart, obviously, uh, Amazon is, you know, trying to figure it out. Everyone's trying to figure it out. I feel like Walgreens kind of needs it to work more than some of those others, although maybe not more than than CVS. What do you think about this when you've got a bunch of companies trying to chase this this one thing? Uh, most of them doing it by acquiring other smaller companies and trying to patch together something. Well, there's a lot of competition here. Uh, yeah. You've got uh, you know increased use of um, you know uh, mail, um, people getting their uh, drugs uh, you know delivered by mail. Uh, you've got more and more players, as you mentioned, the WalMarts, the, the Costco, the everybody, Kroger, Safeway, everybody you can name can do a lot of what. Walgreens' uh, substantial business is, uh, and you've got pharmacists who are striking. You've got uh, just competition from a lot of different places, uh, and they're the number number two player, uh, a huge operation. They're well known and trusted by by millions, but the opportunities uh, to you know increase their prices are very limited. I think given uh, especially some of the attention that's being uh, paid to the the PBMs, uh, which is a you know a remarkable amount of advertising, and actually one of the few issues that you can find where there seems to be some bipartisan agreement uh, that the, this is something worth addressing. 
One thing I think is interesting with Walgreens is uh, you know, the retail side wasn't wasn't so bad. Uh, you know, they saw some some good growth in pharmacy, but a lot of that was due to the to the cost of drugs. But you mentioned the pharmacists, and this part I think is really interesting because on on the earnings call, Tim Wentworth he talked a bit about how they're they're working with colleges, they're trying to build that pipeline of pharmacists and. That's important because there aren't enough, pharma, enough pharmacists out there, and the pharmacists that are there are clearly not happy. You had what they called Farmageddon in in October uh, with with pharmacists walking out, and so you know part of that is okay. You get more pharmacists, and that maybe takes some of the workload off, but. I also think workers feel, we've seen workers feel more empowered lately. And so with Walgreens, do they also have to make those those existing pharmacists happier? Well, apparently they do. Uh, you can't sustain too many strikes like that. Yeah. Uh, people will just go elsewhere. And uh, when they're used to getting everything always at Walgreens, getting everything fulfilled there because Walgreens has already got my insurance information and I can just go there. Uh, and they are forced to find other outlets to get their needed um, pharmaceuticals and prescriptions filled. Uh, that's bad uh, for for Walmart for people its loyal customers to be finding who else does exactly what Walgreens does for them, but maybe more reliably, maybe at better prices for for some people when they finally have to go out and. Uh, check out uh, the the competition. So, yeah, it's a really difficult uh, spot for them to be in. They need more pharmacists. The pharmacists they have has, have you know demonstrated that they're not happy. And Walgreens is in uh, right now in the midst of trying to execute uh, substantial savings operations in tune, you know, in terms of billions of dollars uh, of, of annual savings on costs. So that is a limiting factor on just throwing money at the problem. Yeah, and it's interesting too. I think about this for the long term, thinking about the role of the pharmacist, because you've got an aging pharmacist population currently, so you need to bring more pharmacists in. But at the same time, you maybe have some of the pharmacist role being being automated or or taken over by AI in some way. And I mean, who knows what's down the road? AI gets into everything. But I think I think it's interesting that it's one of those areas where you have aging pharmacists and you also are probably going to have, you have an aging population, so you're also going to have an increasing amount of prescriptions and you kind of need to have that knowledge. So it's 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 a tough spot to be in. It's, it's a tough spot for Walgreens. Fortunately, right now, in terms of uh, the stock and the company, uh, it's trading at less than seven times adjusted earnings. They, they re-emphasized or re, re- reiterated uh, this year's adjusted earnings. The adjusted earnings are very different from the gap earnings at the moment. We mentioned the uh, one, maybe one-time charges that were lumped into this uh, this uh, quarter. Uh, but if you can deliver uh, at the high end of the range, three dollars and fifty cents a share of, and let's emphasize adjusted earnings uh, for a stock that's trading at less than seven times that amount. If they deliver that this year, the stock's going to go higher from here. It's it's not going to it's not going to hang around at, at less than seven times earnings once you convince people that those earnings are repeatable uh, and that you start eliminating the adjustment out of the uh, equation. 
I'm going to take us in another uh, topic. I'm going to we're going to talk about eggs. So uh, one of the things I find fascinating is that there's this one company that really is uh, a, a friend of ours called it uh, Big Egg or Big Yolk. Uh, it's it's Cal Maine, and so this is interesting because this time last year, especially around the holidays, everybody was freaking out around the price of eggs and inflation in general. And inflation has dropped. Some prices have not dropped with it, unfortunately, but eggs. Egg prices have dropped a lot. So good news for us, bad news for, for CalMaine because they're the biggest producer of shell eggs. So according to the company, at the end of last year, uh, they were they were getting $2.88 for a dozen conventional eggs. Uh, end of last year, uh, $1.45. So huge, huge drop. And yet this company, I mean, this is an interesting one. It's performed well over the past five years. Not so great over the past year because, you know, egg prices. How do you think about businesses that are so dependent on on really a single product like this? Well, I would certainly start by saying I have no ability to tell you what is going to happen with egg prices from year to year <laughs> or, or decade to decade. They'll probably go up over the course of a decade, uh, but there are things that happen that, that dramatically affect uh it's a commodity. Uh, there's no no brand really uh, value to, to eggs. Uh, so uh, the things that happen, like a, a avian uh, flu outbreak, uh, which is happening again, and, and which mm -hmm. took uh, egg production for uh, Calmaine uh, virtually took it down by a half uh, from the fiscal year of 16 to 17. Uh, that could happen again. That would drive up egg prices, but that's not. Uh, a good thing uh, if, if that's how it occurs. Uh, if if Calmaine can do a better job of uh, protecting its uh, you know eggs uh, and and stock livestock uh, than the competition, so that it has uh, much less exposure to something that affects uh, the market as a whole, then that would be advantageous to it. But they, they're they're not looking for you know avian flu to in any way uh, improve what happens for for shareholders that's just not going to happen so uh i think you're 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 exposed you're exposed when you are a company that has uh, one product and you know that's it's a very fragmented market and they can continue to acquire uh, some of the competition as they've been doing sort of relentlessly over the last uh, 30 years uh but uh you know the nice part about this one product is it's it's something that people have always wanted and and we assume will always want. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And yeah, they are doing. They've done some smaller acquisitions. Uh, I know they're buying um, an old uh, Tyson Broiler factory. They're going to convert that to egg production. You mentioned the branding. So there's, I mean, yeah, there's there's egg brands, but there's no like main egg brand. But there are types. So they've got Calmaine. They have conventional eggs, but they've also got specialty eggs. So that's things like organic, cage free, smaller part of the business. But they're able to control the prices. So Bill, are are you the regular egg buyer, or are you looking for the the cage free or you know farm raised? What's what's your egg? I am an infrequent buyer of eggs or other. Things that I'm more competent at buying, uh, but I think <laughs> I, I I've been known to, when when asked I'm going to the store. What do we need? And eggs, you know, is thrown out that I'll 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 get them. But I have no idea what what brand I might want to look for. But uh, yeah, I, I I typically would would pick up the the uh, 
uh, organic or cage-free or both. Uh, so, uh, because that seems to be what, what, uh, what we have in the house. So it's not price dependent for you? Uh, no, I am uh, pleased to hear today that egg prices have been cut in half over the last year. I would not have been somebody who would have been able to tell you that from my uh, purchasing experience. Uh, there are other other products, the prices of which I, I follow closer than that in the grocery store. <laughs> Got to get you buying more eggs. Thanks for your time today, Bill. Thank you. Ricky Malvi with Motley Fool Money here to tell you about a vehicle that is redefining sporting luxury, the Range Rover Sport. The first thing I noticed when I sat down in the driver's seat is that I felt like I was in a cockpit. You're up off the ground in a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. I also really appreciated the overhead 360-degree camera view that let me know exactly where I was going as I was backing out of the parking space. I went for a drive in the Range Rover Sport out in Littleton, Colorado, and tested the accelerator just a little bit and felt the performance and agility. It's an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. To put it plainly, the Range Rover Sport is powerful. It's also quiet and comfortable. Advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable yet. I'd like to invite you to visit LandRoverUSA.com to learn more about the Range Rover Sport. Growth stocks steal the spotlight in the financial media, but something way more boring is behind a whole lot of wealth creation. Dividends, the regular payments that companies send shareholders. Dividends can make a company a little more disciplined on capital allocation and provide investors with long-term streams of income. Some of the Motley Fool analysts behind Stock Advisor, our flagship investing service, put together a list of three dividend stocks to buy this year. We're sending this report to Motley Fool Money listeners for free, just as a thank you for checking out the show with no purchase necessary. Just go to www.fool.com slash 2024 dividends and we'll email it directly to your inbox. We'll also include a link in the show notes. The market was on fire last year, but one luxury retailer didn't join the party. Ricky Mulvey caught up with Motley Fool Canada's Jim Gillies to talk about a couple of pullback stocks and setting expectations for investments in 2024. Jim, we have been tasked with discussing some pullback stocks, and I feel like this is the harder job to start the year with the segment. This would have been much easier if we were recording this just a few months ago. And I'm a long-term investor. I want to let my winners run, and I'm feeling a little wary right now. Tech stocks rose about 50% in 2023. They, they feel like we're at zero interest rates again. And how can investors kind of set their expectations during what some may feel is a little bit of a market mania? Sure. Well, I mean, yes, obviously, it would have been very nice to have done this show, say, around the end of October, early November, before the markets just decided, hey, party on, guys, let's go, and, and ran up. I'm going to push back a little bit. I don't know that I would consider us to be in kind of a market mania phase. I don't feel terribly bad that, yes, 
tech stocks are up uh, in the last uh, year, uh, largely due to the so-called now magnificent seven that, that uh, are, are at the front of the S&P 500 and of the NASDAQ, that of course being Meta and Microsoft and NVIDIA and uh, Apple, Amazon, and there's two more in there. I think for starters, at the start of the year, you know, we kind of gone on valuation. And second of all, I don't know that I would agree that we're back to zero interest rate levels. And and so, uh, you know, I'm a Canadian, and so uh, you know, our tech sector basically consists of of two companies, Shopify and Constellation Software. I will point out, you know, Shopify today. It's up 120% in 2023. I mean, yay, right? Uh, that's fantastic and great. Still about 55% below its all-time high, you know, which tells you, I think, a little bit about how crazy things got during kind of the tail end of COVID, uh, kind of running up to say November 2021, maybe early 2022, uh, and how much things fell such that you know you can get 120% gain in a year, which by all accounts is a pretty good year, and still be more than or you know you still need to more than double to get back to where you were at one point so um you know i i think a lot of this may be maybe a little bit of recency bias where we kind of look at what's happened in the last 3 or 6 months and go boy things have gotten really expensive and what i like to do when i'm when i'm feeling this way and and, and it's something that i when i talk to other you know young analysts you know kind of in a mentor role or when i'm trying to uh, annoy a coworker of mine uh, uh, you know, who might like a stock that I loathe or vice versa. I always try to ask, I, I, I like to say there's, there's two questions that matter in investing. There's two questions. The first is, the first question is, what is it, whatever the stock is, what is it worth and why? And I kind of feel that they, if you can answer those questions in any market environment, uh, euphoric, despondent, Flat, you know, I I think you're probably on pretty good, uh, good, pretty good ground there because it. I mean, you're going to be wrong, obviously, because we don't have perfect foresight. But it at least, you know, it it, it kind of helps a framework to start deciding. Well, you know, what is it worth? What what is a constellation software worth? Why is it worth that? Uh, what is a uh, a Facebook slash Meta worth? Why is it worth that? I mean, uh, Meta's up. What I think it was, I think it came into the year sub a hundred bucks, and now it's over three hundred. I mean, to be to that's, be that's perfect, pretty good. Well, it's pretty good, but you know, I I I I actually bought and sold. Uh, I, I still call it Facebook. I, I actually bought and sold Facebook in early twenty twenty three for a fairly quick double. I don't particularly like the stock, so. You know, but I, I I looked at it and kind of answered those questions. What is it worth and why? And said, well, it's worth considerably more than where it hits trading here at what eighty or ninety bucks kind of thing. It was basically, and I know the PE multiple has faults. At one point, Facebook was trading less than the regular S and P five hundred multiple, and it feels like if you own that much of the internet and you have three billion people interacting with your platform, like those those network events effects got to be worth a little bit more than the average. Yes, and and you've just you've just gone a long ways to answering the the second question, the why. One of the things if you're going to take advantage of stocks in a pullback is you got to you got to have some some dry powder to do so. How are you thinking about as we start the new year? How are you thinking about your cash position is for or how should investors think about their cash uh, position right now? My cash position uh, was fairly large coming into uh, autumn 2023. 
for various reasons. And most of it I actually deployed between September and November. So uh, I'm, I'm a little light on cash at the moment, but I think uh, given what's happened in November, December, that turned out to be fairly prudent. But you know, then the trick becomes, unless you're going to sell something to, to buy something else, which means you have to get two decisions right. You have to get the selling correct and the new purchase correct. I prefer to kind of replenish my cash position. And so I'm in the privileged position of, you know, I'm still gainfully employed, at least knock wood until the end of the year. Uh, you know, and so every paycheck, every paycheck, X percent goes into the investment account. X, X percent of my significant other's paycheck goes into uh, the investment account. And so uh, you're continually uh, adding cash for future now, obviously, as your portfolio ideally gets larger, those incremental cash ads become less and less important. But also, I think that I know this is going to air in the new year, but I, I'm a big fan of uh, tax loss harvesting. You know, and again, you're going through that kind of that little mini framework of mine. What's it worth and why? Uh, you know, in this case. It kind of makes you kind of forced to look at okay, this stock insert name here, whatever. This stock is down 50, 60% this year. Why is it down so much? What's happened? And you start, you know, answering those questions like maybe, uh, maybe management biffed an acquisition, maybe uh, you simply paid too much when you bought it, uh, and the prospects, you know, growth has fallen off at the company, so the prospects might not be great for a recovery. But these types of things, you know, allow you to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna harvest. For tax loss purposes, or I'm going to harvest some losers to redeploy in the new year into winners. And maybe if you have you know, avoid wash sale rule things, maybe you still like the company, you sell it now, you buy it back in the new year after the what is it, usually 30 days, I think, for wash sale rules. We're doing December advice in January, Jim. Well, it's a funny thing, Ricky, December comes every year. You know, and and I think you can, uh, you know, I, I think you can very comfortably, um, you know, start planning for December twenty twenty four. And also, you know, there's nothing nothing says you can't take a tax loss in you know, say June. When we talked about, you know, what's it worth? You got to know a little bit of the multiples to tell the story. One um, one industry you pay attention to is retail. I'll say the physical retail space, and there's one um, one ETF covering it called XRT. Still off about thirty percent from COVID highs. And you know, since one this is one of your playgrounds, how are you looking for opportunities in this space? And you know, are there one or two valuation metrics that that newer investors coming into this show can use to compare those physical retailers? Well, they're not easy. Uh, unfortunately, they're not easy metrics to find. I mean, you know, you're, uh, anyone can look up same store sales or comp sales or whatever we're doing the metrics of. Everyone can look up uh, an earnings multiple. Um, may or may not be terribly useful, frankly. My preferred thing is to say, okay, if I want to look at something in the, in the retail space, although it could apply to pretty much anything, is I'm, I, I would encourage new investors to take an extra step. I, I, I want them to take an extra step because the more extra steps you take and you understand why you invest in the things you do and you understand how to maybe look at a company, that gets you more involved. It makes you more sticky. I think it makes you a more long-term investor because you are starting to build. I mean, like like the dirty little secret, right? We recommend stocks for a living, but we certainly don't know everything about a company on the day one where we recommend it. You know, we're building relationships. So, you know, I I I I know and I learn more about a stock I've invested in a year, two years, three years down the road. 
but one of the things that I, I'm a real big fan of cash flow, as you know. Uh, and so, uh, for a newer investor, I would I would say, okay, acquaint yourself with a company's financial reports. Look up the annual report. You don't know. You don't need to, you know, look at quarterlies yet. But go find the most recent annual report. That'll be on the company's website under their investor relations section, and look up. Uh, there, there are there are three main uh, financial statements, and they're all important in their own way. But you know, ignore the income statement for now. Ignore the balance sheet for now. Just go to the cash flow statement and look up two lines. The first line is cash flow from operations or from operating activities, quite often said. And the second line is down in the section on investing cash flows, and it'll say capital expenditures or purchase of PP&E, property, plant, equipment, that sort of thing, and simply take. Operating cash flow and subtract what 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 they, the company spent on capex, and that gives you a rough idea of what the company produced in terms of cash flow. Okay, cash flow that they that they don't need to 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 finance and roll into and finance their own their own activities. It's it's cash flow that in theory they could just turn around and hand all of it to their their shareholders. In theory, it's called free cash flow. Do that, and then. Compare that to the 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 price or the the value of the company, the entire market cap of the company, which is the the, the share price multiplied by the number of shares. And you can even maybe bring in if the company employs debt or whatever, you can even bring in debt and say add that in. But but you want to you want to pay uh you want to pay a reasonable price for whatever you're getting. So the next thing though is understand a little bit of the business you're buying. So. Um, just for fun, we'll throw out here uh, GameStop. You know the 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 famous meme stock that uh, got everyone in a tizzy a couple of years ago. Sells video games, collectibles, video game systems, what have you. Not a lot of growth there, so you'd like to see cough cough. You'd like to see them producing more cash because that is an industry that's kind of on the decline, kind of going away. There's always the fear that physical media will just disappear and everything will be streaming. Uh, you know, so you'll get your game games the same way you get your Netflix. And so you want to, if you did want to buy GameStop, and I'm not a fan of GameStop at this price, but uh, if you did want to buy GameStop, you would start gauging and say, well, if I could pay less than ten times cash flow for this, and I'm reasonably sure the cash flow is is decent, maybe that's a reason. In this type of a company, maybe it's good. But uh, since we are trying to talk a little bit about rebounds or kind of uh, you know uh, maybe buying opportunities on pullbacks, there is a Canadian retailer. That that I've got my eye on, and and that I have recommended in and the service that I front, it, it's a company called Aritzia. You know, I am not a fashion plate, of course, but other people are, uh, and it's been very very successful in Canada until really the last year, and it was really successful. The ticker is ATZ on the Toronto Stock Exchange, and there is a pink sheet listing, which I don't have off the top of my head, but uh, it's a couple billion dollar company, I believe, and. They they've they basically they're they're maxed out in Canada in terms of their growth here, but they're not trying to grow in Canada. They are coming south. We are invading the United States. And so Aritzia has been very deliberately coming into the States, following a strategy, because they are they are very popular here. They're uh you know, and, and and a concept that works here generally can work there. Uh, an example I would give you, Canadian company where kind of maxed out in the country. And and worked very well here, and has also worked very well down there. You've heard of Lululemon, right? Heard of it? 
Heard of it. I yeah, own the stock as well. Beautiful. Yeah, that's a that is a great example of what I'm looking at with Aritzia here because you know you might remember about a decade ago, Lululemon, currently about five hundred dollars a share, was a thirty five dollar a share stock because they'd gotten beaten down. They had some executive turmoil. They had a bit of a scandal. Some of their very popular uh, leggings were uh, denoted as see through, not generally good, and so the stock got beaten down as a result. And that's kind of where Aritzia is right now cuz they kind of turfed on some of their fashion, they kind of turfed on, you know, some some of their growth plans. The stock is down 40% this year. But they are spending significant cash. So we we look at our cash flow and they're spending a little bit more cash than they're making right now, but the reason for that is for this broad push into the US. And if it works similar to what Lululemon did, they're able to correct their problems, they're able to continue their growth trajectory. This could be really interesting for investors in, say, five to seven years. Jim, I think you just answered the last three questions I, I had in the outline with sorry that one. No, <laughs> one of these days we're going to have Gilly's rants unleashed on the show, and I can't wait for that day. <laughs> Jim, as always, appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you, Ricky. Take care. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Deidre Woolard. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.